thing that, that I do, especially as I'm reading this, I'm going to start kind of launching back into some more difficult passages to tell you, maybe some words of wisdom for you to think on in your own personal studies. But as you dig and consider those things, as we're going to dig and consider all, uh, let us remember that probably the biggest and clearest call to preaching is found in the verses that we've covered over the last few weeks. So, so oftentimes, as we kind of dig in to the sovereignty of God, the election of God, um, we start asking questions like, well, if God's done that, then what is the need to preach? Like, why would we even go preach if God's going to get picked out? You know, like, this kind of mindset that we often just immediately go to as we start thinking about these things. And what I want us to, to, to see and to focus on is the clearest in all the scriptures the need for preaching itself right back out in the So let us be comforted in that. Let us see that. Let that maybe be an anchor of hope for us if we, if our minds will start swaying in some, in some direction that we're, we're to be unbiblical. So chapter 10 of the book of Romans, we're going to start looking at verse 13. For everyone calls Someone called a congressman. They will be saved out Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? If they have not believed, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear? what a what a beautiful call on his mind. And also let this weigh heavy on us if we spend waste lives never having to share the gospel. I, I won't end the course and just a recap of the last couple of weeks. That's something that I want to take away from this. So oftentimes I hear people talk about the unreached in the world. Um, we will falsely comfort ourselves with the false idea that God will not send to hell anyone who has not heard the gospel. You may believe that yourself, 
gospel. But because from birth they were sinners as you and I. And where you have heard, and if you are a believer, have accepted that gospel, they have never heard it. And that should weigh so heavy on us. Here's the absolute truth is there will be those today who die never having had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And we can do something change that. Will we? Will we? Oh yes. To that. Will we serve? Will there be people who hear the gospel because God sovereignly placed us here? Now we're going to begin in some new text to us as we stress all through the book of Romans. We're going to be looking tonight at verse 16 of chapter 10. We're going to be pressing down into verse 6, chapter 11. We're going to try to do this as quickly as possible. We need y'all doing more work in here. Tonight, if any of y'all sweat more than me tonight, alright, raise your hand. Okay, so if any of you get tired, okay, I will be tired along with you. Alright? So let's work tonight. Let's be willing to work. Because the text that we're going to dig into is going to require us to say, chapter 10, verse Coming out of the scripture that we've just looked at, the scripture calling us to the importance of preaching the gospel, telling us how beautiful the feet are of those who preach. Because we see, we see some of the ugliest parts of them that tediously get to God's word called our feet. out of this, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They, who is the they here? Bringing us kind of in the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11, who is the context of that? The Israelites specifically. Specifically, you could say the Israelites. Now, you could argue coming out of kind of the early parts of chapter 10, you could say that at this point, we're kind of in a general state. The gospel being preached here, the idea of the gospel going out to all, but very specifically, the whole point that Paul's doing 9, 10, or excuse me, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans is to address the question about the Israelites and where they fit into all of this. And it sure seems like God's left his people high and dry to start this new thing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. 
basing what he does. And I, and, and I think that he humbles us all in the process of the way that he does these things. It's beautiful. I want us to I want us to look, I want us to point something out to you. Uh, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. I want us to flip back to chapter one. Just briefly look at the way because this idea of, of obeying the gospel is a is an interesting construct that we find here. Um, because we in the Protestant church, we say it's all about what? Faith alone, right? So what is obedience? What does it mean to obey the gospel? And I want us to see this is not in fact the first time that he's kind of used this construct of obedience. The scripture opens up um, in chapter 1 with this idea. I'm just going to read it in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, the servant of Christ, Jesus called to be an apostle set apart to the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Spirit concerning his son. This is David's God. 
away from our faith. To confess Christ as Lord. To accept Christ as our Savior. To place our faith in the work of Christ. Knowing that His work was enough for us. That where we fail, He has never failed. Where we are so unfaithful, He can be done. We place our faith in Christ, depending of the lives we once lived, continuing in repentance daily, trusting Christ. in 
would we? The truth is, is that most of our lives, most of the time, whether we say it with our lips or not, our actions speak so loudly that we could care less if there are those
way. In one way, I'm going to say, had they understood what would they have done? What would sin have kept them from? Oh. 
prophesied in Isaiah. If you look through Scripture, God tells Israel time and time and time again what His plans are, what will take place. Do they have understanding? Do they lie? Yes. If they do, it's not because the information is not close by.
that he rolls out of drafts of chapter 10 here, showing us the same truth again, quoting scripture that shows that the Gentiles will come in, quoting scripture showing that the, that the Israelites will fall away, and also showing us why the Israelites fall away. Why do they fall away? They're disobedient and contrary. Alright? So, they were disobedient and contrary. And God could save them. God could save them many hundreds of years before they were disobedient. Why? Why? Because He's sovereign and a 
Who's he speaking of that he's not rejected here? Saul's man. Who's he, who's he not rejected? If he's not, if, if a falling away of all but a handful doesn't constitute rejection, then what are we seeing here?
question Paul at this point would say, has God rejected his own? Because it looks like Paul, it looks like when the vast majority of them are gone, that God rejects it. And what does Paul do? How does he support his argument? Except for bringing up scripture of when this has happened before.
Lord God say to Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not felt need to fall. So too. Verse 5. So too at this present time there is a remnant. So too. What is that word, that phrase? mean? What is he trying to get across? In the same way. Now, in the same way. In the same fashion. And what fashion is that? God has kids. He uses it. He quotes from it. God has kids. To those of Israel who did not reject, why did they not reject? God is sovereign and he kept them. And they were obedient to the gospel. Not one of those people who God kept from Israel in Paul's day was a rejecter of the gospel. Right? The sovereignty works in and through. This is why it's so important that the gospel this is why it's so essential in the argument that Paul's been laying out. This is why chapters 1 through 8 come before 9, 10, and 11. The gospel is central here. Christ is central in all of this. Verse 5. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant. Paul includes himself in that remnant, and he considers that remnant to be operating in the same way that those in Elijah's day who were kept by God remained. The hand of God. Those men did not take credit for themselves, nor could they take credit for themselves. If you were to see them not bowing knee, there's not one of those men who would have said, I didn't bow my knee. No, they didn't. God kept them. In the same way, when we're faithful, man, we're not taking that credit because it's not ours to have. Because what Scripture says to me, apart from the work of God, is that I would reject an enemy. When I quote that Scripture from chapter 3 of Romans, don't think that I exclude myself from that. Right? Don't think that I don't think that my own mouth was like the smell of an open grave, the conversations that I have. So think of the harmful things that I said. I don't consider those things to be as the venom of snakes. So think that I exclude myself so that on that day, when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, that I'll be like, what? Did you see all that I did? Did you see that? How awesome am I, Shane? I had like, Five people to Jesus. Did you not see me preaching? Did you not see how awesome my sermons were on that day? What will I say? Oh, poor him. Ugly crying like you ain't seen ugly crying. Because even today, as a stand, stand. Even today, as we as Christians struggle and strive, we do not do it on our own. We don't do it because we first incline our hearts to it. He came for us. He rescues us. He sets us off. 
finisher of our faith. If the Son had not come, there would be no gospel to preach. What beautiful things the gospel is. So too with this present time. There is a remnant chosen by grace. There is so much that we could go into there that we will not. But I want to step back from this for a second. And I want us all to consider what it means to be a believer. And I want you to consider what it means that you have life eternal in Christ your Lord. Was it because of works that you had done? Can you take credit for believing in Him? Will you boast in anything other than the cross of Christ on that day? How humbling should it be to us that we have been shown this grace to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, how many times did I reject <laughs> Why one more time? Right? Like, why one more time? Why does it, why does it not save me? All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Why is this so gracious to us? Believer. Believer. As much baggage as these words, these ideas that we find in chapters 9, 10, and 11 are, as much as we oftentimes find ourselves Maybe uncomfortable to speak of ourselves as elect or chosen or few. Like, like I want you to embrace the fact that you are chosen by God. If you are a believer, don't let the fact that sometimes that seems uncomfortable or you don't know how to wrestle with all the baggage that it so often, unfortunately, brings to us, know that He chose you. He chose you knowing knowing what grace is this what grace has been shown to us but if is by grace. It's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Understand this, believer, that your standing before Him is not based on the works that you do. When I ask you to raise your hands about whether or not it concerns you that there are those who will die today, lost it is not. It is not because I'm going to guilt you or make you feel like there's something that you must do. It is because you know 
have not even heard of yet. And how does that not bring us to our knees? This is one of those moments when I say, do they even hear you? Do we even consider these things? Do they weigh heavily on us? Will we lose sleep over them? Will it be a thing that sits so deeply in our souls that forever in our lives we will live different for no or will I have shed tears in vain? God is sovereign. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is merciful. Let us rejoice in that. Lord, I thank you for this day and for your blessing. Lord, what can I say? as I stand here knowing myself, knowing that you know me, knowing that you know me better than I know myself, knowing that you know my passions, knowing that you know my desires, you know every innermost part of me, you show grace to me each and every breath that you have given me. Lord, for my friends and family here in Alcala, I, I pray that your spirit would move. I pray that you would plant seeds, that you would water seeds, that you would move seeds in our hearts, Lord, that the truth of your purpose for us would rest so heavy we might be sleep over it. it. It might run out lesser thoughts from our minds. Lord, that we would focus on eternal things and not on petty things. Lord, and even as I say this, I know how often my own heart tends towards those things so fleet. Lord, I ask that you would show yourself to us, that you would show yourself through us, Lord, that it would weigh heavy on our souls, that we would be those beautiful feet, that we would take the gospel into our workplaces, that we would take the gospel into our homes, that we would take the gospel into our schools, Lord, that we would go and that we would send those are willing to go. Lord, that we would be willing to put in work and your word. We would treasure it to the depths of our heart. That you would that you would do a work in us. I thank you. Uh, that you would allow me to stand here tonight. Uh, I am so unworthy of this. I thank you for my church and Pray that we would be used for you. Let us worship you for the grace that you've given to us. Let us worship you for the sign that you have set to us, the life that you have given us.
Give that hope and truth and knowledge of the word. 